0: you have for us Lord. and We want to receive your truth and know it in our inward parts so that we can go forth in victory and power and in assignment to do what you called us to do on the earth. We thank you for the opportunity to hear your word today in Jesus name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. 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 Today we're going to talk about the spirit of compromise and uh, the effects that it has on the church, on people. Uh, uh, one of the, the um, uh, things that I've noticed is that the word of God always comes to pass. This was foretold in the word in First Timothy chapter 4. If you'll turn there, you'll see what the writer was speaking to the church and, and how this affects what we have and what we see in the world today. In first Timothy chapter four and verse one it says Now the Spirit speaks expressly hmm? Expressly I mean that's without doubt and, and with emphasis and very clearly that in the latter times some not all some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy having their conscience seared with a hot iron forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth for every creature of God is good and nothing to be refused if it be received with thanksgiving for it is sanctified by the word of God in prayer If thou put the brethren to remember these things. So if you, Timothy, as a good minister and a good pastor, a good bishop and apostle, will put the saints in remembrance of these things, you shall be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished up in the words of faith and of good doctrine, whereunto you have attained. But refuse certain things so as ministers and as believers there are certain things we should refuse you know you don't take everything somebody gives you you don't believe everything uh, somebody wants to tell you you don't uh, swallow everything that's fed you you refuse certain things because they don't agree with you we ought to be allergic to false doctrine That's right. Amen. you know just spit it up out and get moving he said refuse profane and old wives fables you know handed down traditional stories about God things like that and exercise yourself rather to godliness just be concerned about being obedient to God and to his word for bodily exercise profits little but godliness is profitable unto all things so you'll see in 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 uh, the apostate church certain things start to creep in a a preoccupation with what you eat and how much exercise you get turn on christian tv and you get tons of that stuff but if your family's in a wreck nobody can tell you how to hold a family together you got me Well, it's true anyway. You got me? These are the things that God is concerned about. He's concerned about what touches your heart. What you eat has very little to do with your heart. Jesus said that. He said, you know, look at what you eat. He said it goes in one end, comes out the other, in other words. So it just passes through you. But the words that you receive and hide in your heart, that's what make you who you are. That, that has a, a profound effect on you. It either makes you holy or it defiles you. So he says that these things, <clears throat> godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that is now and of that which is to come. Amen. So. In other words, we're going to suffer reproach, we're going to be persecuted when we hold on to what God tells us to be right and to be true. But the writer here says we should hold on to it anyway because it was it will be very very popular to depart from the faith. He gives some examples, forbidding to marry. We know that that's been true in certain denominations. They feel that their leaders should not have natural families. That's a forbidding to marry doctrine. That's in the church. The other thing is that we have doctrines in the church now. They're not as overt, but they don't encourage marriage they don't encourage young people to pray for godly spouses they don't encourage young men to be responsible to get a job to get a good education to get you know follow the ways of god they certainly don't encourage young women to cook and to clean and to make a house so that somebody want to come and live in that thing with you you got me what we do is we let them grow up like the world does. We don't encourage them to, you know, to be well groomed and be modest in our dress and all that kind of stuff. Young girls coming into church look like they come off the street and I mean I mean for years. It's like the spirit of God makes no impact on us whatsoever to convert us from where he found us into more godly people who want to make a home, who want to make people comfortable there. You know, sometimes if you're a homemaker, you get all these people want to come nest in your house all the time. I'm thinking, why don't you go home and clean yours up? You got me? Maybe somebody want to stay with you sometimes. If you can cook, everybody wants to come over to your house and eat. When we first started the ministry, I I thought I would ask the women to, to bring a dish. They go by the store and get some microwave. And I'm looking at it I said, huh? Is that what you feed your family? Are you kidding me? Well I work. Women been working forever. I worked too and I still came home and cooked. I couldn't feed my husband that stuff. Not if he was gonna stay with me. Just a thought. Was that song, Making It Easy for the Clean Up Woman? Huh? I didn't play that stuff. My mother taught me how to cook, how to clean. If I stuck my mouth out, I got whooped and I cooked and I cleaned. End of story. huh? And I found a man who stayed until he went home to be with the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. Simple things. But you got to humble yourself to do that. You can't be a proud and haughty woman and keep a household together. Somebody's got to humble themselves to keep that household together. And see we're so accustomed now to being liberated and being free to do what the world does. Not what the word of God tells us to do. Word of God is very specific about what keeps a household together. And if we will do those things, we'll find that the household is blessed. But we give heed to all kinds of crazy doctrine. People in the world aren't even living good behind the stuff that they preach to each other. Their lives are messed up and they're looking for help too. But they're not going to find it where they're looking for. And when you come to the church, we have some of the same beliefs that they have. So, the Bible says this is the apostate church. This is the church that is veering off from the basic doctrine of God. And it comes in very subtle ways, folks. The devil's not just going to beat you over the head with false doctrine, he comes in very subtle ways. He'll start throwing small hints, and he'll get a few people to listen to it. Then he'll f- throw a few more small hints and get people to listen to it. He'll f- throw a few small hints and get more people to listen to it. And pretty soon, you've got people in the church speaking this stuff as though it's true. You've got ministers preaching it from the pulpits. And you've got believers. Turning their minds away from sound doctrine onto the doctrines of devils, and they have picked this stuff up and aren't able to carry the message of the gospel any further. And that's how uh, uh, death comes into the church, where the power of God's not there anymore. The more truth we can minister and preach and teach, the more God will show up and do great and mighty things in our midst. See, we want God to come in and give us good jobs and give us obedient children, but we're teaching them all kinds of goofy things that we pull off of the television because we think the guy on TV, if he's preaching it and he's got a big following, that's what we want to do we think that if we if it's something that has to do with something we can easily grab onto, like what you eat and 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 you know how much exercise you get we think it's good and we have compromise in it well you know god is you know this is a temple of god you got to be careful about the temple yeah and what you hear and what you speak and what's in your heart that's where God resides. He doesn't reside in your abs and your flabs and your pecs and your mechs. He resides in your heart. You've got to get your heart prepared for God to come in. And so these things are subtle, but they're there. I'm shocked when I look at Christian TV and see how many pills are being sold. How many weight loss products are being sold. You know, I mean, all them diets work if you follow them. If you just buy the stuff and leave it on the shelf, it's not going to work for you. (laughs) You know the answer to these things are very simple. They're not challenging. But the challenging things is how to get your kids to be able to pray in school again. How to get that devil out of there. How'd that devil get in there? Just jumped up all of a sudden and, and took schools away from normal people. Now we've handed it over. They're teaching homosexuality in schools. And under the the terms tolerance, there are certain things you shouldn't have to tolerate. You know, you have the freedom to tolerate what you want to and not tolerate what you don't want to you know as long as you're not trying to withhold somebody from a job or do something illegal with it you don't have to tolerate those things on a personal level you're you're free to believe what you want to believe you can worship who you want to worship and you can pray when you want to pray and to whom you want to pray and so these things are are things that we have sat by and watched happen and tolerated them to a degree you know people who pray of course are engaged and they're fighting it but in in certain circles people just look and shake their heads and wonder what's going on or they just shrug and say well that's the way things are and maybe we should change how we think or maybe we should believe this or maybe we should well we shouldn't be so uh you know so hate-filled now if you tell people sin is wrong that's hate speech you know they're trying to make people ministers have to marry people of the same sex huh well, what would you call them? I now pronounce you. Well, who's the wife and who's the? Okay, you. What, let me see. Well, let me. What should we? Wife and wife. Well, which one of you is a wife and which one's a husband? Oh, my little little minister's handbook is. is I gotta pronounce them husband and wife. So you make up your mind who, which one you going to be today. You understand what I'm saying. This is ridiculous. And we call it the law of the land and we're trying to give it dignity and respect when it deserves none. It's foolishness and it's folly and it's against God's law. And that's the most loving thing you can tell somebody is the truth. Huh? Truth never goes out of style. Truth is always fashionable because truth is always honored by God. For years we've been telling people that, that homosexuality is wrong. Now all of a sudden, well they're confused already. Because people in authority have told them two different things. So they're, never, they're, they're no more straightened out now than they've ever been. In fact they're more confused. When you see the church changing its doctrine and turning things around to suit the times. To suit people so that they won't be persecuted. The church is certainly in trouble. And so the age that we now live in you see great evidence of this scripture coming to pass what you give heed to is very important it talks about in the end we will be giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devil now what's a seducing spirit well a spirit of compromise is one a spirit that will give you subtle challenges to the truth that you believe and is there to pull you away in a gradual subtle fashion It more or less seduces you away. These spirits have some effect on your emotions and on your carnal soul. That's how they seduce you. They get your attention because they cause you to question something that you believe in your heart by working some emotional reaction in your flesh it'll cause you to be embarrassed at what you believe or to be fearful at what people would say if they knew how you really felt or to be intimidated and not speak up in certain situations people used to ask if they think aids is god's judgment against the homosexual well it's not his judgment it's a warning though you got me disease is a warning Judgment comes when you don't heed the warning. So just because they think they've got a cure for AIDS and they have protective sex and all these things, the wages of sin is still death. You can't put a condom on sin. It it manifests differently. It manifests in your spirit. And so the wages of sin is still death. Who's going to pay them wages for you? You can't pay them yourself. They have to be paid by a holy person you can't pay your own wages you You get penalized and you go to hell for that and so when we understand the consequences eternal consequences of these moments of embarrassment or fear of embarrassment or fear of intimidation all these things you realize that just suffering that little bit of discomfort for your stand and maybe people will ridicule you or laugh at you that's small compared to what you have to pay an eternity if you walk away from the truth of God's word or you you refuse to share the truth of God's word with someone because you're afraid of some Intimidation or some kind of something that people say you're going to suffer because of the truth that you believe in. So what you give he- heed to is very important. What you hear eventually gets incorporated in your thinking, and your thinking influences greatly your believing. You can wear your your stand on God down by constant bombardment Of these kinds of things. And we get a lot of it. Nowadays you get it not only on the news. You get it on on the internet. You get it in all kinds of ways. You get it in advertising. All these things affect what we hear. And what we take heed to. You can't be open to everything that you hear. You have to shut some things down. You have to say some things are not for me. And I don't want to hear about them. And they have no place in my life. Sometimes people are open to certain other people who are able to influence them. That's why many times politicians will get spokespersons from the entertainment world and places like that. Famous people to speak up for them when they want to get a point across to people. And that's how many people have fallen into this trap of feeling that it's wrong to speak against homosexuality. For years it's been wrong to speak about Uh, fornication and adultery they have a website now that is for people who want to commit adultery where you can go on there and they will counsel you and coach you in how to cheat on your spouse how to stay hidden from them they'll encourage you in those things Mm -hmm. God is always testing our loyalty to his word If the fact that somebody comes on television and speaks up for something sinful causes you to change your mind about it, you've been seduced over into that way of thinking by that spirit. We should receive only what agrees with God's word and with the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will always tell you the truth and tell you what's right for you and what's not right for you. We have to judge righteous judgment at all times lest we fall prey to the devil. Judging righteous judgment means to hold it up to the light of the word of God. What does the word say? Even without you having a a quote unquote confirmation from God, you can always go to the word and find out what the word of God says. And if you stay with the word of God, you will not be found in error. Even people who stay with, with the word of God in kind of a legalistic sense. We talk about legalism versus grace versus law versus all these things. Obeying the commandments of God will always do you better than compromising on them. You got me? Even if you don't feel it in your heart. Even if you don't really understand it. If you take that stand and obey the word of God. Whenever it falls before your eyes. Then you're a much better chance of staying with it. Than if you try to compromise and put it on the shelf. You never put the word of God on the shelf. You put something else on there. But you don't put the word of God on on the shelf. The Copelands made this covenant. With God when they were very, very young in the faith. And they said, God, whatever we see in your word, we're going to obey it and we're going to start doing it. And they did that with everything. And you see where it took them. They're not what I would call legalists. They're people who understand the Word of God because they have the results of understanding God's Word. But they made a decision that they were not going to put it off, compromise, shelve it, or do anything else with the Word of God except obey it. And God has honored that in them. And so we have to judge righteously at all times. And so the Word of God, according to our covenant, we have already agreed to obey God and to obey His Word. It's through compromise that often believers will depart from the faith. They consider things they shouldn't consider. They listen to things they shouldn't listen to. They try to make a decision on things that are explicitly uh, forbidden in the word of God. They're just Some things just are not for us anymore. We have the Holy Spirit living in us and we have to be respectful of him dwelling on the inside of us and we have to be respectful of what he's preparing us to do in the earth this isn't just about you and how you feel today this is about you and the future God has carved out for you now anybody who's a parent understands that good parents understand that your children have to eat some spinach they can't have bubble gum and candy and cupcakes all the time not only will the teeth rot but they'll be malnourished they won't have much energy their growth will be stunted there are certain things that you need at certain times in your growth in God as well and sin is never anything that feeds what God wants you to do with your future or with your present and we have to understand that we talk about the faith he says to that that they will depart from the faith what do we mean when we say the faith in hebrews six one it explains the doctrines of the church. first doctrine is repentance from dead works and faith toward God. All sin is a dead work folk whether it's it's in your mind and your heart or in your actions it's dead works. Some people sit around and fantasize and daydream about certain things they shouldn't be fantasizing and daydreaming about. Those are dead works. And you need to turn your faith toward God and what he wants you to do. That's where the life is. That's where the joy is. That's where the contentment is. That's where everything is that feeds your spirit. But yet many times we'll sit back and want to feed our souls with a bunch of dead stuff. Stuff that used to apply to you when you were young and and unsaved and stupid. Well, we need to quit doing that. We need to start focusing on what God has for us in the now and in the future. So we, we repent of dead works and put our faith toward God. That's the faith. The doctrines that God has given the church. The baptisms and the baptism in the Holy Spirit. The mandate of the church to go forth and make disciples out of all men. Those are the things that, that we talk about when we talk about the faith. And so many people depart from that and depart from the purpose that God has them here in the earth. To depart from this way is to pick up a false way when you depart from the doctrines of of the church just the basics of salvation faith toward God those kinds of things do you or don't you need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost well you need to be baptized in the Holy Ghost the Bible says that Jesus prepared that for us with the evidence of speaking in tongues there's no such thing with baptism without evidence when you got baptized in water you had evidence you got wet didn't you and they dried you off. So that was your evidence. A baptism in the Holy Spirit as you pray in tongues, in another tongue, in an unknown tongue, and edify your spirit, that kind of thing. So these things that, that, that are being challenged, and this isn't new, they've always been challenged, are things that we need to hold on to and realize that in holding on to these things, we will save ourselves. Save our souls and God will use us and he's well pleased with you. When you take a stand for the faith, he is well pleased with you. So I had some examples here because I know sometimes people think, uh, you know, uh, preachers exaggerate. And it's not that bad. and I don't know how what bad or good or whatever, but there's evidence that this is widespread now. And it's widespread in, in some areas, especially the church. So, I have some examples here. I'm just going to read you some information, and you take some notes and you understand. That when you hear these things, you have to stay firm in what God's told you. It doesn't matter who's who's involved in these things. And well, they are good ministers or they had a good ministry or they're a nice person, it has nothing to do with anything, folks. What you need to focus on is that you don't fall into that same trap. Because that's how compromise starts. It starts with us uh, somehow feeling sympathetic to somebody who's trampled over the word that we're holding on to. They'll call us deceivers and call us false and call us heretics in a minute. But yet we want to try and stick up for them. And so we need to understand that these things happen to people even with good ministries. So there is a minister, um, uh, Carlton Pearson. And some of you know him. But he uh, is is now uh, being labeled as a heretic by his denomination for several reasons. One of the things that, that Carlton Pearson did was he changed his doctrine. He changed the doctrine that he had always believed. He built one of the largest churches in Tulsa. At one time, his church had over 5,000 members. We know that just because you have a big church, it doesn't mean you're following God. And just because it had, you have a small one, it doesn't mean you're following God. You got me? When you follow God, there's evidence that you follow God. And it's not always in numbers. But he built this church. He attended Oral Roberts University. He was a part of Oral Roberts' uh, board of directors at one time. It was highly well-respected. But he picked up a doctrine, I would say, in, at, at maybe at the early 2000s, around that time, where he believed that Everybody is saved. And that there is no hell. There's no hell for, for God to send people to. Which means in, 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 in understanding how he's departed from the faith. That means that we don't need Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross for salvation. So number one, it tramples the blood of Jesus underfoot and it does it despises the spirit of grace that comes upon us when we obey God in repentance of our sins it calls he calls it the gospel of inclusion i n c l u s i o n and he attracts people who have issues and offenses toward the church. If you go on his website, you'll see some of the comments that other people make about him. Some of these people are ministers who have fallen from their denominations and so forth. And they always tell the same story. That they felt like they, they differed with the powers that be in the, in the authority structure in their denomination. And most of them got kicked out. He invites others to become, on his website, he invites others to become what he calls peace agents. P-E-A-C-E, peace agents. So you see here's this, this uh, empathy, sympathy kind of thing. Instead of this soulish response to the gospel. Instead of letting your spirit stay engaged in these things. You start letting your soul respond to them. So he says he he invites people to come, peace agents and help him stand for global freedom from extreme religious tyranny. So he calls churches the ones that that helped him grow up where he came from. He was a member of the Church of God in Christ, uh, which he calls religious tyranny and unreasonable dogma and fear based theologies so instead of him and this probably has been in him all the time you know these things don't just pop up out of nowhere but it sounds to me like this is how a little kid would respond to church Because I remember being scared when I went to church. I remember thinking that they were hard on people. It sounds almost like the way a sinner would think about the things of God. Like somebody who really hasn't been converted. And so when you think about these things, and this is sometimes why God allows us to be challenged in our beliefs. To see what we really believe. And if you really stay with what he has given you, the the faith that was once delivered to the saints, that's what he wants us to stay with. We call it tradition. We go, it's traditional, but it's alive at the same time. You see what I'm saying? And there's life there in, in some of these traditions. They're not just religious traditions. But this is the way he thinks about his church. So he's speaking in hypocrisy because I've heard him when he was working for God. I've heard him speak with a great deal of respect and reverence about the people that t- taught him in the church when he was a young boy. And how they encouraged him to stay with the Lord and how some of the older saints would always encourage him and, and uh, you know ask him if he was still holding on to the things of God. That kind of thing. So he talks, there's a hypocrisy here where you can look at with reverence and respect the people that have sown into your life and then in, this, in another breath call it tyrannical, call it dogmatic, call it fear-based, all these negative things that he's putting on it now. He says he wants to reclaim a radically inclusive love. So his love that he's proposing is radically inclusive. And he wants to activate the best and most accurate spirituality. Now you know when you work for God, you talk very plain god doesn't you know he doesn't give you all these you know circular words and confusing terms to share with people. He calls his his network the metacostal network of expanded consciousness, Huh? <laughs> But we can't compete with that because all we have is a gospel. We got a simple—we <laughs> have a simple word for what we do. It's called the gospel, and it's called truth. But he is his Metacostal, huh? Meta—what is that? That's middle. meta means your middle, whatever. Costal is instead of Pentecostal. Your Metacostal network of expanding consciousness. Like your head's going to blow up one day. He says he underwent what he calls an epiphany. When viewing suffering Rwandans. And decided it would be unfair of God. To send people to hell who had suffered so much here on earth. See. So at some point your compromise makes you think you know more than God. That's when you get into a problem where your doctrine and your knowledge is not submitted to God anymore, but you exalt yourself above him. The Bible says that if you're a follower of Christ, you will cast down imaginations that exalt themselves over the knowledge of God. Once you start challenging God's word with your meta whatever you got and your whatever physical thing you're trying to do, you have already stepped over the line. So it, these uh what he wants to do is cause people to compromise God's word by playing to their emotions and playing to the hurt and the wounded who are out there to see if he can pull them into a false doctrine so <clears throat> compromise with his emotions and being open to heresy is what led him to lose his, his status in God and his standing in the Christian community and so when, when you start spouting off things like he started to spout off, I think he's he's tried to, to connect with some kind of uh, um, uh, one of those Unitarian type churches or unity churches. He was there for a while and they threw him out. They fired him. Which is good because he doesn't need to find it. He needs to wander around until God finds him and he finds God again. You know, this is what you pray for people like this. You don't try to pray that, oh, don't don't let him lose his church. Don't let him lose. What do you mean he's lost it already? You can't hold on to something that's already gone. The devil took that a long time ago. And so we have to understand that many times people can be drawn off with soulish understanding of spiritual things things that are spiritual you've got to keep spiritual you've got to evaluate what you hear according to God's word not according to who you like and what they say and 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 how great they seem to be and all this kind of stuff you have to evaluate them according to the word of God and, and judge things according to God's word One of the problems we have now is that we don't really have a clear um, way of introducing people into the church anymore. used to be they got saved. You told them where you went to church and they followed you to your church and they grew. Now we have what we call seeker friendly services where we have tons of people come in. To a church service and we never know who's saved and who's not. Now think about this. If you or your leader doesn't know who's saved and who's not. They haven't really come in through the door that is Christ Jesus. You've dumbed down your message so you don't lose anybody. Think about the connections they're making with the different people in the church every time they come in think about the conversations that are going on between people you have as a as a pastor you have no control over the growth of those people you don't know what they're receiving from one another you don't know if you've got people that are there from from new age kind of churches that are infiltrating and in speaking to your people you have no clue of what's going on there all you know is you got a lot of people and you're on tv every week you got me and so there's something here that that is filth feeding the, the false doctrine and picking up of these kinds of ideas because there's no way to monitor and control what people know, how they grow, what they believe, all of that stuff. That's why you'll have a pastor with 30,000 people and don't have an assistant to leave in charge of things. He's got to go hire somebody or figure out if somebody can be there or, or that the, it falls through the cracks on the day to day. That's why a lot of times people come into churches where they get to know them and they feel uncomfortable and they run to a place where they can be anonymous because they don't want to be found out. The most help oftentimes people get is on an anonymous phone prayer line. Because that's where they can pour their heart out to somebody and tell somebody their problems and get some help is on the prayer line. And it's unfortunate because I don't think Jesus ever meant it to be that way. Some people will never grow to to what they're supposed to be in ministry because they never have what we, we know to be true discipleship in discipleship somebody knows you personally they know how you grow they know what you need they they uh, understand your situation any needs you get can be met in that local assembly or should be able to be met in that local assembly many churches have programs to feed the hungry and don't know if there's hungry sitting right there in their congregation it's so disconnected from what God ever wanted it to be and so we have to be understanding of God's original model for the church and what, what we know to be true doctrine. And it's not tyranny. And it's not fear-based. It's love-based. And it's love-based because we share the word of God. And God loves you and he wants you to know it through contact with his people. And so we we have to learn how to hold on to things, folks. When they start slipping away, you need to know they're slipping. And you need to retrieve the truth that that God has given us. Uh, There's the other example I want to give you is the example of the ministry called Exodus International and many of you might have seen it Oprah Winfrey did something on there about Pray the Gay Away where they were laughing at the fact that people can pray and get delivered from homosexuality and it's wrong it's 100% wrong Exodus International is a 30 year old organization an international organization whose purpose it is to help homosexual homosexuals come into Christianity, who have come into Christianity, renounce same-sex attraction. They recently closed down their United States chapter. And I'll read you the story about that. It's not very long. It says here, Exodus International to shut down. Ministry president apologizes to gay community. Exodus International, the 37-year-old ministry devoted to helping people deal with unwanted. These are people who say they don't want it anymore. Unwanted same-sex attraction is to be shut down. The Exodus Board of Directors unanimously voted to shut down the ministry after a year of prayer and dialogue a press release states local groups that were affiliated with the ministry will continue though they will no longer be under the umbrella of exodus you see somebody's gotten infiltrated at the at the leadership level quote we're not negating the ways God used exodus to positively affect thousands of people really what are you doing but a new generation of Christians is looking for change and they want to be heard, Exodus board member Tony Moore said in a statement. Exodus is an institution in the conservative Christian world, but we have ceased to be a living, breathing organism, said Alan Chambers, the ministry's president in a statement. For quite some time we've been imprisoned in a worldview that's neither honoring toward our fellow human beings nor biblical. Chambers added, from a Judeo-Christian perspective, gay, straight, or otherwise, we're all prodigal sons and daughters. Exodus International is the prodigal's older brother, trying to impose its will on God's promises and make judgments on who's worthy of his kingdom. God is calling us to be the father to welcome everyone to love unhindered. Does that sound like anything you read in the Bible? Listen, when the son came back, what did he say before he got there? He He said, I've sinned and I'm not worthy to be called your son. You got me? Anytime somebody tries to get in the kingdom without taking that step, it's a wrong step. And anybody who encourages that is wrong. See, this is where compromise comes in you know i've heard people instead of them saying that homosexuality is wrong well you know we've all sinned no but they ask you a question is that wrong and will that keep them out of heaven huh well well, you know we can't say we all we've all had some sin in our lives all right the announcement was made just one day after chambers issued an apology To the gay community for the trauma he and the organization might have caused them. When is truth traumatic, folks? Does God not follow up his truth with signs following? When they first started, when this man got saved, what what was he told when he got saved? He wasn't told this stuff. He says, I have heard many first-hand stories from people called ex-gay survivors wrote Chambers, stories of people who went to Exodus affiliated ministries or ministers for help only to experience more trauma. I've heard stories of shame, sexual misconduct and false hope in every case that had been brought to my attention there had been swift action resulting in removal of these leaders and their organizations but rarely was there an apology or a public acknowledgement by me. Exodus formally promoted the idea that same-sex attraction can be reduced or eliminated through reparative therapy, a type of therapy that involves prayer and counseling. For years, however, many have decried reparative therapy as harmful, and last year Exodus disassociated itself with the practice in order to focus on discipleship model of ministry. The apology Chambers posted on the Exodus website is a more thorough version of an apology he will deliver tonight on an episode of, guess what? Our America with Lisa Ling, the same show he went on where they were making fun of them praying the gay away. The special report titled God and Gaze will show Chamber deliver his apology to several people who feel they were harmed by their reparative therapy experience. In a video clip, do you know what? I don't care what the church gives you. It can't harm you as much as going to hell. Are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? He says, I cannot apologize for my deeply held biblical beliefs about the boundaries I see in scripture surrounding sex, but I will exercise my beliefs with great care and respect for those who don't share them. Well, he's already lost his edge in God. You understand what I'm saying, folks? Now, here's another article. Exodus ministry continues in Latin America despite shutting down in U.S. You hear somebody fighting to hold on what they know helped them. Listen, if deliverance helped you, it'll help somebody else. If if going to the altar and getting prayer helped you, it'll it'll help somebody else. This is nonsense. God's no respecter of persons. The Latin and North America branches of the ministries that aim to help individuals struggling with unwanted same-sex attraction are separate entities that fall under the umbrella Group Exodus Global. It says here, currently the leadership of Exodus International North America has departed from doctrinal foundations that are a part of what we as the rest of the global ministries believe in, therefore we totally disclaim any declarations made by them in North America. This is what their Latin American directors say. The Christian Post previously reported that Exodus International adopted several changes before unanimously voting to shut down after 37 years. The organization stopped promoting reparative therapy as a way to reduce or eliminate unwanted same-sex attraction because Exodus International believes it caused unrealistic expectations in individuals. How can you give somebody unrealistic expectations when you give them the word? I mean, how's that unrealistic? What they think is more realistic is for people to call themselves Christians and continue to practice homosexuality. That's what it is. It's just given a blanket permission for them to continue that way. It says here, I felt like we'd come to a crossroads. The culture was changing. Exodus had become a lightning rod in many senses. And most of the good that we have done or could do was being overshadowed by the negative, Said Chambers. In a letter to the lesbian, gay, uh, bisexual, LBGT. <laughs> XYZ will have some more alphabets soon. Chambers apologizing for imposing his biblically based beliefs about marriage upon them. And said he had no desire to fight them on their beliefs or rights that they seek. In addition, Chambers told Christian Post that the majority of Christians have taken references about homosexuality in the, in the Bible as a form of attack against those seeking help. Sad. It's Very sad. Instead of fighting this. And taking it to God, and if you need to have correction, get correction, but keep going. If God gave you something to do, you keep going and you keep doing it. That's what we all do in ministry. If you make errors, you correct those errors, but you keep preaching the truth. You don't change your stand on the truth based on people's reactions to it. You're going to get that every time you preach Christ. When you tell fornicators that they can't sleep around anymore and they come up to the altar and get prayer and they keep coming to get prayer and they keep coming to get prayer and then finally they get victory. You got me? That's what we look for is the victory. We don't back down from telling them that God won't honor sinful behavior. This is nonsense. It's total nonsense. So that's Exodus International. So you got two examples here. Here's somebody else compromising. This is from the Ohio, um, this is a, a congressman in Ohio. It says, Jim Petro, former Ohio Attorney General, had a bright future in politics until he opposed the 2004 Marriage Amendment that defined marriage in Ohio between one man and one woman. In 2006, Mr. Petro ran for governor in Ohio. Knowing he would not be elected because of his support for same-sex marriage, he switched his position and said he did not support same-sex marriage. However, the flip-flop fooled no one. He was eventually defeated and has not had an elected position since then. Then on July 8, 2013, Mr. Petro held a press conference to announce he has flip-flopped yet again and is now in support of same-sex marriage why you ask his flip-flop flip he says his recently recent change of opinion is due to the fact that his daughter is a lesbian sound familiar attracted or affected by a similar family situation senator Rob Portman switched his position to support same-sex marriage in March because his son was a homosexual The vast majority of parents who discover that their child is homosexual do not respond the way Mr. Petro or Mr. Portman responded. Most will continue to love their child but will speak the truth in love, explaining to them that homosexual sex is wrong apparently Mr. Petro and Mr. Portman are in the minority on this one due to a child's choice to act on their same-sex feelings they want to force all Ohioans to accept their new flip-flopped position, etc., etc. So anyway, it says here also, and this is interesting, on July thirty-first, 2013, Family Research Council will hold their first annual dinner celebrating ex-Gay Pride Month. The event will celebrate those who have left the homosexual lifestyle and are now pursuing healthy heterosexual relationships with families. And it gives more information. Now, there's been a couple of announcements that because of threats to that organization, they've had to postpone that celebration several times this will be the first year people have who have left that gay lifestyle have had the courage to want to celebrate it like they do in the streets for the homosexual lifestyle and they've had death threats they've had threats of bombing when they note, tell people where, where it's going to be held in the venue, they say they've had multiple calls of people calling to, to set bombs off in there if they continue with it. So they've had to put it off for a while. So these people you pray for, folks. You pray for people who, who know the truth and speak out the truth to be able to continue to give truth to people because that's the only thing that's going to help us, folks is for the church to quit backing down and to come forth with truth. The Bible says where sin abounds, grace does much more abound and so god has he's on your side when you have the truth in you he's abounding with us uh, grace toward us to come forth with the right things so the 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 while the exodus chapters in the united states have backed down and tucked tail and ran you see the one in south america is going to continue they believe in what they're doing and they appreciate truth and they know what what truth is and they're appreciating truth. so i had this one also about abounding grace and we're going to talk about what the church is doing now to support the gospel and to get the gospel out and this one is about pope Uh, Francis in his trip to Brazil. It says Pope Francis addressed hundreds of thousands of young pilgrims at the celebrations marking World Youth Day in Rio de Janeiro this week. You know that his motorcade took a turn down a wrong street and he wound up preaching to people on that street. So he's a preaching pope, folks. And so he says, um, uh, saying that if the church did not spread the faith in the streets, it would be reduced to a non-governmental organization. In other words, the, the church would just be a figurehead of power instead of having real power. He says here, and I quote, I would like to tell you what my expectations are regarding this World Youth Day, Pope Francis said on a rain-soaked Copacabana beach. I would like us to make noise. I would like those inside the diocese to go out into the open. I want the church to be in the streets. I want us to defend ourselves against all that is worldliness, comfort, being closed and turned within. Parishes, colleges, and institutions must get out. Otherwise, they risk becoming NGOs, the church that is a non-governmental organization. The Vatican today quoted him as saying in his native por- Portuguese on Thursday. Francis arrived in Brazil on Monday ahead of World Youth Day events. On Friday, the Pope counseled eight prisoners, six boys and two girls, who came from four prisons in the Rio area at the, re- at the residence of Archbishop of Rio de Janeiro. The Pope had strong words of encouragement for each one, Father Frederico Lombardi, the Pope's spokesman was quoted as saying one of the girls sang him a song and they presented him with a rosary that was inscribed with the words no more candelaria no more violence two decades ago gunmen shot homeless children seeking shelter in the candelaria roman catholic church in rio eight of the children died on thursday the pope addressed another crowd in a shantytown a slum area of northern rio that is infamous for violence quote no one can remain in Sensitive To the inequalities that persist in the world Francis told the crowd no amount of peace building will be able to last nor when harmony and happiness be attained in a society that ignores pushes to the margin or excludes a part of itself. The Associated Press quoted him as saying, you are often disappointed by facts that speak of corruption on the part of people who put their own interests before the common good, he said. To you and to all, I repeat, never yield to discouragement, do not lose trust, do not allow your hope to be extended, extinguished. And so he had those words for them. But to me, it's interesting that the Pope is telling Catholics to go out in the streets and tell and share their faith with others. They're becoming more evangelical, even as all of this is being heaped on the the church that's been freer, Pentecostal churches and the churches who, quote unquote, have power. You see a church that was sleeping, waking up and telling people to go out and said, if we don't get out and preach the gospel, we'll turn into a non-powerful. We'll lose all the power that God ever intended us to have. So where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. I don't care how many homosexuals want this and want that. God is abounding toward us in faith because we are serving the living God. So I got a couple more examples for you. I want to share these with you because there's one that I thought was very interesting very interesting not be only because it speaks to uh the heritage of the church but it shows you how easily god can pick up on truth and and bring it out how much he's waiting for people to open their mouth so uh, he'll fill it with words this is a story how much time we got miss wana Oh, okay. I can, I can share two stories. So just listen. You can take notes. But these are things that are interesting, I thought. Uh, this one is from the um, um, Christian magazine. Uh, let me go back and give you the name of it. Make sure it's, it's called Remembering... Oh, it's called World Magazine. And this is a Christian publication. Let me see. Where was it? Here we go. The title of this is called Hymns on Broadway. It says, uh, um, there's a picture here of the principals in the, in the play. Uh, Vanessa Williams, Cecily Tyson, and Cuba Gooding Jr. at the Stephen Sondheim F- uh, Theater are in this play uh, called A Trip to Bountiful. It was made into a movie some time ago, but it's interesting. New York says, I haven't seen, this is the writer telling their story. This is their review of it. says, I haven't seen Kinky Boots, the hottest new show on Broadway, and that's got a gay theme. But I would guess that it's Broadway's, its Broadway neighbor, Trip to Bountiful, is its opposite in style and substance. So this writer is saying we got two opposing viewpoints here, right next door to each other. Bountiful lacks sparkly dance numbers. And Cindy Lauper selections. So, Cindy Lauper's written some of the songs in the Kinky Boots thing, but it's playing sold out shows. Set in Houston in the late 1940s, the play by Horton Foote, who wrote the Oscar winning screenplay for 1962's To Kill a Mockingbird, tells the story of one household confronting very normal crises. Fights about where someone left something in the house, nervousness about asking for a raise, and a couple's sorrow about not having had children. The elderly Mrs. Watts played by Cecily Tyson, longs to return to her hometown of bountiful Texas before she dies, against the wishes of her son, Ludie, played by Cuba Gooding Jr and his shrewdest wife, Jessie May, played by who else Miss Vanessa Williams. They all live on top of each other in a small apartment where Jessie Mae is constantly complaining about what her mother-in-law's hymn singing does to her nerves. So I guess the mean uh, daughter-in-law is upset about the hymn, getting on my nerves. Watts, browbeaten in the Houston apartment, escapes. Waiting at a station for a bus to Bountiful, she elicits a moment that makes this Broadway play unlike any other Broadway play. When Watts bursts into the old Fanny Crosby hymn, Blessed Assurance, the audience joins her. Softly at first and without any prompting, so this is not a part of the play. This is just a spontaneous result people sitting in the audience. Blessed assurance Jesus is mine, Watts sings. Oh what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God, born of his spirit, washed in his blood. As the audience finishes, Tyson turns to another hymn. Softly and tenderly Jesus is calling. The audience joins in on that one too, clapping in thunderous applause at the end of the song the 79 year old tyson deservedly won this year's best actress tony for the role she is poetic and captivating this spontaneous audience choir has been happening every night in every performance it's not normal manhattan audience behavior When the New York Times first noticed the singing, it published a story about it on the front page. The audience, largely African-American, the night I attended probably isn't made up of typical New Yorkers. Two African-American ladies next to me had traveled from Houston, and they said many of their friends had also come to New York to see it before them. I wondered during the performance how a show like this made it to Broadway. For one, its pace is slow and reflective. The play asks questions about urban migration and the importance of a birthplace. Ludie and Jessie May are exhausted and tense in the city, even though Ludie has a good job. Bountiful was full of poor people before we got a, got a, and we got along, Watts says. Later she tells Ludie, quote, to stay with the land would have been better. When she returns to a deserted bountiful, she hears the sounds of birds she knows, smells the gulf, and says she feels her dignity returning. More surprising for a Broadway show, Watts' Christian faith is a theme throughout. Once Watts makes it into a bus to Bountiful, she finds herself next to a young woman, Thelma, played by Condola Rashad, whose husband has just left to serve in the Korean War. Thelma talks about how she misses her husband Watts begins reciting Psalm 91 by heart to Thelma Quote, he who dwells under the shadow or the shelter of the most high will abide under the shadow of the almighty I will say to the Lord my Lord my fortress my refuge my God in whom I trust Thelma breaks down in tears you like hymns Watts tells Thelma Jessie May says they're going out of style Maybe not yet. huh? So that's grace abounding. Where God is able to come into a place like Broadway. In a a spontaneous response of people. Who just want to share in that experience in God. I'm telling you. God has so many opportunities for truth. Even when so many people are being intimidated by the enemy's voices and criticism against the truth that we preach God still finds pockets of people here there and everywhere who will join in on the truth who are not ashamed of the truth and who will let their spirits get free and tell about the truth that we know because he will not let sin overcome righteousness and he will not allow people his people who want to stand up for truth be backed down there's some Something in people when they get an understanding about what God does and what he wants is unstoppable. I mean, even if some leaders are stopped, God always raises up people who want to go forward with the truth. And, And it's a good thing because you need to know that he's with you in your corner of where you have to share God's word wherever you have to be where, where people seem to not want the word of God if God is opening if you'll open your mouth he'll fill it with words and he'll put his truth in your mouth and that truth will be heard and it'll make an impact and it'll be appreciated because people are being drawn to that. That play is sold out every night. You know. It will be there long after the other one. Uh, one about the gay community. People are sick of hearing about that now. I will tell you. People get uh, weary of hearing the same old things over and over and over again. So the world gets tired of their own nonsense that they hear over and over again. And then there are people that want to escape that life. And come into a normal life. And, and get hope for a life in God. So there's much. Much encouragement, folks, for us uh, in our message of truth with God. And I'm going to share you one more thing, and then I'll be done. Amen. Are you Are you appreciating this? Are you okay? All right, because I just don't want to. I don't want to sit here and read and y'all say, I wish he could, let's move on. But these are are things that are happening uh, in the real world, you know, and not not that we don't live in a real world, but these are things that you can can gather about what's going on. Uh, The title of this is Roaring Lambs, Roaring, R-O-A-R-I-N-G, Roaring Lambs. Uh, Young adults join together to learn strategies for defending traditional marriage. So there's groups that are are offending. Talk about a counterculture. 41 young men and women recently attended the 5th annual It Takes a Family Conference to Learn How to Support Traditional Marriage. It's not the usual cause 18 to 30 year olds scrambled to support. The numerous red equal signs on Facebook on Facebook, Mirror, the daily reality the 70% of millennials support same-sex marriage. But these 41 students and young professionals traveled to San Diego, California to learn how to defend one-woman, one-man marriage from scholars Jennifer Morse, Mark um Reg- uh Robert Gaddon and others. While the attendees eagerly discuss the necessity for marriage in society around dining tables and by the pool, they realize their views will be largely mocked and rejected once they step out of the safety of the conference. Who are these individuals still committed to the marriage movement intellectually and emotionally? Autumn Leva, 28, has just gone through two defeats that were, quote, devastating on a personal level. She knew she was risking her budding law career when she agreed to become the the Minnesota for Marriage spokeswoman last fall, but after much prayer she made the commitment. She worked to pass a Minnesota constitutional amendment defining marriage between a man and a woman and lost. She worked to convince state legislators not to approve same-sex marriage and she lost, facing off against 12 opposing lobbyists by herself while taking up multiple roles in the short-staffed Minnesota for Marriage office, but she says it was all worth it. Mechie Reeds, 20, of Buenos Aires, has also seen losses. Argentina legalized same-sex marriage in 2010 but is carrying on the fight as part of a pro-family organization, Grupo Solido, which is mostly run by volunteers under 30. Grupo Salido teaches abstinence and family values to students at private schools. Richard says, if you want to change things, you need to change people's minds, what they think about marriage. A law does not change the way of thinking. We need a deeper change. Richard said classmates mock her and commenters leave nasty comments on her blog, but she also has friends her age who are starting to get jaded by the sexual revolution and searching for something else. She said many Argentinians didn't think that the new law would affect them but passage has led to a completely redesigned sexual education that teaches gender equality and minimizes the traditional family. Teachers of religious backgrounds are having a difficult time keeping their jobs because pro-gay language is often required in every class including math where the word problems now contain homosexual examples. Elena Newman, 26, became interested in family issues through her own experience as a donor-conceived individual. Her desire to find her biological father pushed her to create the Anonymous Us Project, which allows those involved in assisted reproductive technology, including 30,000 to 60,000 born through sperm donations every year. Now that shocked me. Every year. So people are having as many anonymous <laughs> kids as, and then some of the ones born the normal way are anonymous too. They don't even know who their parents are, I mean the fathers and so forth. It says, uh, uh, born through sperm donations every year, studies say, to share their stories and opinions. In high school, she saw her friends with their biological fathers and felt as if she was missing out. So at 19, she started looking for her dad. She put her information on a donor sibling registry and a man contacted her. He turned out not to be her father, but a donor to the same sperm bank. Through him, she was able to get her father's medical history and heritage. Later, a private investigator helped her search for him and three days before the conference told her she had almost certainly found him. He had died several years ago. Quote, society doesn't recognize the sadness we feel not knowing our parents, Newman said. The stories on the anonymous us website reveal concerns about abandonment, betrayal and identity, accidental incest and lack of knowledge of medical history. Thomas Peters, 27, communication director for the National Organization for Marriage, arrived at the conference from Illinois to explain why the legislature of a liberal state did not approve same-sex marriage this spring. So this is the story in Illinois. They didn't approve it. He said uh, National Organization for Marriage in Illinois worked closely with African-American pastors to defeat the bill. Gay activists, quote, tried to silence free debate, but the Illinois vote on marriage reflects what's really going on. I'm very eager to see a healthy debate continue. Peter said he did not plan to get involved with such a divisive issue, quote, knowing it would brand me, but he decided instead of staying silent, he'd rather fight for a world where his values could exist. So that's where grace much more bounds, folks. People who are willing to stand for truth, people who are willing to let God speak and, and, and understand the importance of coming forward and, and telling truth when you have an opportunity to tell truth. That's, that's what we do as believers. We don't back down uh, when God gives you because you'd rather the Bible says, why would you fear the one who can only kill your body? You fear the one who can kill the body and cast your soul in hell. And that's who we fear, folks. And God is to be feared. Respected. And feared okay so since you said i had some more time i'll read you one more story and this is not about anything but this is a, a story somebody is their commentary on scripture it says jesus is so serious about you getting the sin out of your life and that's what we're talking about here we're talking about a stand for or against sin and for righteousness he says he's so serious about you getting the sin out of your life that he says to cut off the offending appendage if you cannot master it Quote, If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away matthew eighteen eight amputation of a body part is not his first preference; he would rather you quote rule over the devil genesis four seven but if for whatever reason you're not up to it, then better to limp through the remains of the day without hands or eyes or whatever than to keep you keep them and go to hell. Life is short. Eternity is long. God loves us and wants us to enjoy heaven to the full with undiminished rewards. First Corinthians 315. So he is ruthless against sin. I live hard by the railroad track, and I'm ruthless about the prohibition against playing near the tracks. I do not good-naturedly allow my grandchildren to slip occasionally from obeying that particular regulation, nor do I commend them for a 99% compliance. Quote, in your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood, Hebrews 12.4. The implication is that you may yet have to. God pardons his child who comes for forgiveness after stumbling, but insists that his child make every effort to obey. And he can tell the difference. One man wakes up in the morning and says, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Psalm 119.10. The other mistakes the Holy One for an automatic forgiveness dispenser and puts up little resistance to temptation. The seeds of his fall are stow are stowaways on his attitude. Shall we give up teaching people how to hold their bodies in holiness and honor? Shall we say, "Been there, done that, didn't work"? Let's all just kumbaya as we give ourselves permission to fail. No, this is the will of God. Your sanctification—that you abstain from sexual immorality—that you. Each of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust, First Thessalonians 4, 3 through 5. Unless you have ever killed a strong carnal desire, you'll never know in an experiential way the meaning of take up your cross every day and follow me. And carry around in the body the death of Jesus, 2 Corinthians 4, four ten. Those words are religious gibberish to you. Unless you kill a strong desire, you never know the freedom and growth spurt waiting on the other side of obedience. See, that's what the people in Exodus experience themselves, and they've fallen away from teaching that to others. The reason it is considered cruel to deny people's right to unbridled sexual expression is because the mind of a worldly man cannot conceive of anything happier than satisfying carnality. If satisfaction of our moral coil is man's highest good, then to love is to allow it. But scripture says we are to love people enough to warn them of the wrath of God to come, 1 Thessalonians 1.10, and to cheer them when the re- with the reward of heaven, 1 Corinthians 2.9. A number of older women in my local church have never married and would like to. They have opposite sex attractions, you might say. They do not have occasional slips into a night of fornication because they cannot help it and because God made them that way, they simply need to fornicate once in a while. They frequent no support groups to celebrate monthly or yearly markers since their last adulterous affair. If we are not able to die to forbidden sexual desire, how will we ever die when they come to plunder our goods because of the name of Christ? how will we be like the cloud of witnesses before us who joyfully did so because they were mindful of more enduring possessions in heaven and considered it a bargain. Hebrews 10:32 through 35 Jesus says to sever our appendage if it causes us to sin but this is a bit of holy ruse on his part. He knows that it doesn't have to come to this for he gives more grace so that whatever the temptation we will find a way out without the necessity of bodily amputation. So we have there the resolution for people who feel it's too hard for us to tell the homosexual they can't be homosexual anymore. It's not too hard. Because where sin abounds in a person's mind and temptation abounds, grace much more abounds. So folks, we we've got to understand this This warfare is heating up and you've got to decide which side you're on. You've got to decide to stay on God's side and tell people the truth. You know, it's not your truth anyway. It's God's truth. You're only doing what a faithful servant is supposed to do. And that is continue the faith, continue passing it on to people. Don't compromise on it. It's not ours to compromise on. You can't pretty it up. If it sounds harsh to people, it just sounds that way. But trust me, once it's spoken, God through his Holy Spirit will make that truth real to them. And that truth is convicting. But they will find help from God to carry out his commandments if we will stay True to the message. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for giving us understanding that there is no compromise on the faith for the believer. This is not our gospel. We didn't die for this gospel. We didn't shed one drop of blood for the salvation, but Jesus did that. And we as believers must stay true to him and what he's called us to do. So, Father, I thank you that you've given the church an important job and that is a mandate to share the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ and that is forgiveness of sin and redemption into salvation and we thank you for that father in Jesus name amen praise God amen 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 if anybody needs prayer come on up and I'll pray for you praise